Well, good morning. I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and also bring you greetings from um, New Life Church. They will be meeting online today, and uh, they send their regards and their, their greetings to the saints here as well. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to minister to you today, and we pray for you as a church. We pray for you often, and we've been praying for you as you go through the process of securing the new senior pastor. We're praying for your current assistant pastors, and we pray that God's will, perfect will be done. And I want to echo the words of Aubrey. He's been such a blessing to me over the last few years that I've been here, a real encouragement, and I'm so glad for his fellowship in the gospel. And for your partnership in the gospel as well, as a, as a church, we are encouraged by your example, and um, we look forward to how the Lord would continue to build our bonds in Christ together. I'm preaching today from Psalm 87. When Aubrey asked me to preach, he asked me if I would preach something about diversity, something about unity, and straight away my mind went to Psalm 87. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. And while you're doing that, let me open with an introduction from a quote from a book called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And he says this, he says, If you say that you love the glory of God, the test of your authenticity is whether you love the spread of that glory among the peoples of the world. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. God's passion is to be known and honored and worshipped among all the peoples. To worship Him is to share that passion for His supremacy among the nations. So let me read Psalm 87 with that in mind as we come to God's Word together. Psalm 87, verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who knew me, I mentioned Rahab, and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Shall we pray before we study God's Word together? Father, we ask for your help this morning. We pray that the Spirit would open our eyes, that He would open our ears, that He would open our hearts to the truth that is in your Word. We pray that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight today. And we ask, Lord, that we would not just be the, the hearers of your Word, but we pray the Spirit would help us to apply the truths from your Scriptures today. For your glory, Lord, and for your joy, we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. Now, there are 11 psalms that are said to be written by the sons of Korah. Now, the Korahites, they were doorkeepers. They were custodians for the temple. But the most remarkable thing to remember about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became the great music leaders in the tabernacle, like we have our bands and our 
music leaders today. And these beautiful psalms were written by them, and they express a, a gratitude of humility to an awesome and mighty God. And Psalm 87 is one of these psalms. And this psalm predicts the conversion of all the nations to Christ under the, the beautiful picture of their birth in Zion. Now, Zion, of course, is a city that existed in the Old Testament that is still there today with a different name. But Zion is a picture. It is a type of the gospel church today. And this psalm reminds us that Zion, the people of God, will be made up of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And here the writer is celebrating the glory of the church as the, as the means of spiritual blessing to the nations. Now, of course, Zion itself is the hill in Jerusalem that the temple was built upon. And the temple in Jerusalem was always designed to be the main place of Jewish worship. In the New Testament, Jesus himself gives us some insight into the very purpose of, of this temple worship. He said in, in Mark chapter 11, when remember he was, he was enraged when he went into the temple and he saw the, the den of thieves and they had turned the place of worship of, of Yahweh into a commercial marketplace. Remember, Jesus takes a, a whip and in his righteous anger, he drives out the money changers. But listen to what he says in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 17. He says, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then he said two other things about the temple that pointed to a completely radical new view of, of worship that the, the Jewish people had. He said in Matthew 12, verse 16, uh, verse 6, he says, But I say unto you that one greater than the temple is here. Of course, he was referring to himself. And later in John chapter 2, verse 19, he said, Destroy this temple, referring to himself, and in three days I will raise it up. What Jesus said was very different to the idea of worship that the that the Jewish people had at that time. And we know that this, these words and even the attitude that Jesus had eventually caused the, 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 the crowds to riot and to call him to be crucified. And that's just how important this temple worship was to the, to the Jewish people. And Jesus identified himself as the true temple. He said something greater than the temple is here. And he said in himself, he would fulfill everything that the temple stood for, especially the place, especially the place where believers were to meet God. But for our purposes today, it is important for us to see that the temple was a very important, a very integral part of the Old Testament worship of Yahweh. And the temple was, past tense, the place where believers would meet God. Now, it's interesting that this idea is not just in the Old Testament. It's very much alive today. You may be knowing that the Hindu community here in, in the UAE is busy building a massive temple near Al-Rabah off the Dubai um, Abu Dhabi Sheikh Zayed Highway. And the site covers 55,000 square meters of land. 
And they say it's going to be just as grand as the, the Grand Mosque. And of course, just like every other temple in, in India or any, anywhere else, you have to take off your shoes in order to enter this, this holy place. Um, but the idea that God lives in the temple is still very much alive today, just like it was with the Jews in the Old Testament. So let me give you my outline this morning. Verse 1 to 3, we see the lovely gates principle. I'll explain a little bit about that later. Verse 4 to C, uh, sorry, 4 to 6, we see the reborn people's principle. And then my third point is the joyous springs people. So look at verse 1. We'll look at the first point this morning. On the holy mount stands the city that he founded. So God had chosen to found this earthly temple upon the mountain of Zion. He might have selected other spots. I'm sure there were many other beautiful spots. But why, why this particular hill? There is no particular reason. If you search the scriptures, you'll never find an answer to that. But simply to say, it pleased God. Simply to say, it pleased God to choose this place of worship upon Zion. Now, the city was founded on Mount Zion, of course, is the city we call Jerusalem today. And, and the word Jerusalem means possession of peace or foundation of peace. But I want you to notice that this is the Lord's selection. It's the Lord's election. He chose this mountain. He made this mountain holy. It wasn't the mountain that chose God. It was God that decided this is where the temple would be. This is where he would be worshipped. And the foundation of the church is, is laid, it is fixed, it is grounded in the eternal, immutable selection of Jehovah. He chooses his church. He wills that the church be. He settles her arrangements. He calls her. He grants her salvation. He grants her sanctification. And he grants her perfection. It is the Lord's choice. It is his will. But look at verse 2. It says there, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Notice that word more. Again, why? Of all the things that the Lord could love about his temple, about his city on Zion, the Bible says he loves the gates. He loves the gates more. He doesn't love the walls. He doesn't love the, the footpaths. He doesn't even love the altar. He loves the gates. Why? And that's important for us to see here and notice. Why the gates? Well, gates were the place where the worshippers of Yahweh would have to enter through. The gates were the point of access to worship. You couldn't jump over the wall. You couldn't go through a back door. Jesus is the access to Yahweh. And Jesus said himself in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Revelation chapter 5 verse 2, the angels ask, who is worthy to open the seals? 
And we see in verse 3 and verse 4, nobody answers. Nobody is worthy. John weeps. Look there with me, if you would, in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb to worship the lamb. Jesus is the one who is worthy to open the seals. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Nobody gets to worship Yahweh unless it is through Jesus Christ. We see this lovely gates principle being displayed for us right here in these verses. Jesus is the one and the only one who has reconciled us to God the Father. And I want you to try and imagine the, the Korahites, these custodians of the temple, these gatekeepers, that they would sit close to the gates and they would, they would watch as people from all over the world would uh, approach the temple, as they would enter the gates. And I think it must have filled their hearts with so much joy to see these, these pilgrims, to see these people, these foreigners coming to worship Yahweh in Jerusalem. And Jesus is still the lovely gates today. And here's the reason that we can all worship the same God and the reason we are united together as a faith family. And even though we come from different physical families, even though we come from different countries, even though we come from different cultures, we are united together in Christ. Christ is the one who has paid our ransom. Christ has paid the ransom, not just for us, but for many others. And there are people from every tribe and, and tongue and nation who still need to enter the lovely gates. Remember, these gates are not closed. They are still open. And we who live in the UAE, we, we live... What the, in what the missiologists call the, the 1040 window. And if you are looking at a world map, you will see the, the 10 degree lines of, of longitude and, and the 40 degree lines of latitude. And, and there's, a, there's a rectangle that's des designated in the area of, of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And, and this, this is the area that we live in. And this is where two-thirds of the world's population live. There's an estimated four point six billion individuals that live in this 1040 window and these people have very little or no access to the gospel or they've never even heard about christ they've never heard about the sacrificial work of the cross and many not even having the bible in their own language here are a few statistics that are found from the the joshua project in Russia, there are 145 million people. Within Russia, there are 165 people groups. 
And there are 80 that are unreached. In China, there are 1.4 billion people, 517 people groups, 427 which are unreached. In Afghanistan, there are 38 million, 77 people groups, and 73 that are unreached. In Libya, there are 6.8 million. There are 40 people groups and 28 that are unreached. In Mongolia, there are 3.2 million, 23 people groups, and 20 of those unreached. And in India, 1.3 billion people, 2,605 people groups. Look how many unreached, 2,338. Now Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which we know is the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Not some, all nations. Jesus said in verse 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of this authority, go. With this authority, go and make disciples. And there's an enormous foundation of certainty that the Lord has given his disciples to go and make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says in Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. In other words, the gospel will prevail. In other words, nothing can stop our Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. The church will prevail. We are living in this 1040 window. We are living in the heart of this, this 1040 window. And I don't think it's coincidence. And, and that's what I preach to my church every time. The Lord hasn't brought us here to the UAE just to make money, folks. God in His providence and in His sovereignty, He has brought you to the middle of the Middle East to tell people about the lovely gates. To tell people that He is worthy of all of our worship. There are tribes and there are communities from all over the world who travel here to the, to the UAE to, to live and to work who are not worshiping Jesus. Who we need to tell how they can enter the, the Zion through the gates. We cannot keep silence. We have a responsibility. We have a, a joyful duty to fulfill. We need to be telling people about the lovely gates. John Piper, he says, In heaven there will be no missions, only worship. Gathered around the throne will be worshippers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And the goal of missions will have been accomplished. But until that is the case, true worshippers who have tasted the goodness of the Lord will not be content until they have invited the nations to join them in the feast. How do we do this? Well, thank you for asking, because I'm about to tell you. My second point, we see the reborn people principle. In verse 4 to 6, the city of God is not just a city filled with Jews, it's a city filled with the nations. Look at verse 4, it's quite striking, isn't it? It says, I shall mention Rahab. Rahab was 
was a way that the children of Israel often spoke about Egypt. It was a poetical name for Egypt. And notice who's speaking here in verse 4. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon amongst those who know me, capital me. Who's talking here in, in verse 4? This is God who's speaking. This is God who's speaking. And now he's saying, I'm going to number Egypt. I'm going to number Babylon. Babylon is Iraq among those who know me. And it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, look at, look at verse 4. Phil Philistia and, and Tyre and, and Ethiopia. All of these, he is going to say, belong in my book of life. I am going to register them at the last day. Is God saying that everybody is going to be saved? No, he's not saying that. He is saying, though, that his plan is more than a meager number of children of Israel who are going to be numbered in the book of life. God has a bigger picture. There are going to be people from all nations that are numbered amongst those who are in the book of life. Remember, he said to Abraham in Genesis 12, that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just some, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I hope you see here that race is not an issue to our Lord. In fact, our Lord delights in diversity of worship. He delights in all the cultures of the world worshiping Him. It's His plan. It's His design. And God's purpose is to bring Egyptians and Babylonians and, and Philistines and Sidonians and, and Ethiopians and, and Filipinos and, and South Africans and Americans and Canadians and Australians and, and Chinese and Indian and on and on and on. It's His purpose to bring them in and to number them and to register them amongst the people of God. We read in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 23, that God's purposes were to make himself known in the nations. He says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. This is not just a New Testament thing, folks. It has always been God's purpose and plan to make his name known among the nations. And our psalmist here in Psalm 84 is emphasizing this very thing. And if God is so concerned for his glory amongst the nations, amongst all races, we should also be concerned about it. It's not an option for us. If God delights in the diversity of people and cultures and races worshiping him, so should we who profess to be Christians. There's a story I read about Mahatma Gandhi. He spent a lot of his time in South Africa when he was training to be a lawyer. And while he was in South Africa, he was invited to a church. But during that time, he was reading the Gospels. He was quite moved by the Gospels. He loved the teachings of Jesus. And he said it, it seemed that Christianity offered a solution to the caste system. If you know anything about India, you'll understand the caste system that plagues India even still today. So he went to a church to, to see this pastor and to ask questions about the Bible and about Christianity and even about salvation. But when he went to the church, which consisted of, of white people, the ushers refused to give him a seat. 
And they told him to go and worship with his own people. That church is going to have to answer for that one day. You know, when I first came here, people told me that, that ECC is the American church. I don't know how many Americans are here. I don't see many Americans. And I praise God for that. <laughs> I praise God for the diversity that I see here in front of my face. It's God's plan. We aren't supposed to just be a Filipino church. We aren't supposed to just be an American church. We aren't supposed to be just a South African church. God delights in diversity of worship. And that applies to our, to our home groups, our life groups as well. I hope that, that you are embracing the diversity that the Lord loves. If you are a true worshiper of Christ, who has tasted the goodness of the Lord, and you have entered the lovely gates, you will not be content until all the nations have been invited to join you in the feast. Look at verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. Notice the word born that is mentioned there in verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6. And this is people who are being born in Christ as they go through the gate, the gate to worship Yahweh. And the context of the psalm is, is stressing the blessing of being born in Zion. And when the gospel is preached and people are turning to faith in Christ, they are being born in Zion. And look around you, ECC. How many of you have been born in Zion because of this local church, because of the ministry of this church, because of this faith community that has been preaching the gospel? The local church is a means of grace that God uses for the extension of His kingdom, to make His invisible kingdom visible on this earth and thank god for this community of faith thank god for your testimony of faith if people come to you and they ask you if miracles happen at ecc i hope you respond yes of course miracles happen in ecc people are are brought from death to life that is the greatest miracle of all there's no greater miracle there's no greater status as we see in our scriptures today than being born in Zion, being born again. This is the glory of the church. We see the proud and the arrogant from Egypt turning to Christ, turning to the Lord, humbling themselves. We see the worldly of Babylon, the, the city of confusion. We see the, the, the wrathful from, from Philistia, enemies of, of Israel. We see the, the covetous, the rich traders of Tyre, and the slaves of, of Cush. From the land of Ham, all of these learn of the love of Christ. And they confess God and they enter into that glorious city. And they are acknowledged as the citizens of Zion. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 5. And the highest himself shall establish her. The highest himself shall establish her talking about the lord god almighty he himself will establish zion the lord himself will establish his church and we know he's done this through the sacrificial atonement and the lord proves himself to be the builder of the church 
It's the Lord alone who deserves to wear the title, the defender of the faith. And he is the sole and sufficient protector of the church. As he says in Matthew 16, I will build my church. That's not a suggestion. That is a promise. And God fulfills his promises. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I hope you see the two pictures here that are being painted for us. The gates of Zion and the gates of hell. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. And he promises that he will build his church. And he promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the gates of Zion. Because Christ is the builder and the sustainer of his church. Let me conclude in verse 7. And here we see the joyous springs principle. And the psalmist sees the citizens of Zion rejoicing at some sacred festival. And, and they're marching in triumphant procession with, with instruments and, and vocals. And the city of God's people is made up of nations of, 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 of all people. And there's joy here. Notice the joy that's happening at this point. And the people of God glory in seeing the nations bow the knee to God the Father and Jesus Christ. And there is joy. And there is joy. And the Lord who founded the church is the eternal source of all joy. He's the eternal source of all satisfaction. He's our supply. He's our fountain. And without Him, we will fail. And He is worthy of our praise. But I wonder, is that your experience? As we apply this, I wonder, is this your experience? Can you say with the psalmist, all my springs are in Christ? This is what Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. He says, the springs of my faith and all my graces, the springs of my life and all my pleasures, the springs of my activity and all its right doings, the springs of my hope, and all its heavenly anticipations all lie in thee, my Lord. Without thy spirit, I shall be as a dry well, a mocking cistern, destitute of power to bless others or myself. Can you relate to that? Is this true of, of you this morning? Where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your satisfaction? Do you look to your, to your spouse? Do you look to your children for joy? Do you look to the world do you look to money? Do you look to alcohol? Do you look to the flesh? Do you look to the arms of a strange man or a, a strange woman? Where are you trying to find your substitute for true eternal joy? Christ is the fountain. And he is the foundation of every genuine drop of comfort. We are just the pipes. We are the conduit pipes. And Christ is the God of all. He is the supply of all this joy you know the westminster catechism asks the question what is the chief end of man in other words what is the purpose of man and the answer is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever but are you enjoying god are you enjoying god do you delight in seeing people come to faith in christ do you love the glory of God amongst all nations? John Piper said it well. 
God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let me finish with this quote from Let the Nations Be Glad. If you say that you love the glory of God, the test of your authenticity is whether you love the spread of that glory among all the peoples of the world. So how are you doing with that? How is the church doing with that? How is EC, ECC doing in this mission that God has given his church? You know why the psalmist says that glorious things of thee are spoken to the city of God? Remember, Zion is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the gospel church. A gospel church that is faithful with the gospel. And glorious things are spoken about a faithful gospel church. Because this is where Jesus is worshipped. Because this is where Jesus is adored. And this is where Jesus is proclaimed. This is where Jesus is magnified. And the church that is faithful and obedient with his gospel is the means of spiritual blessings to the nations. I love the logo that ECC has. Ambassadors for Christ to the nations of this world. Are you the spiritual means of blessing to the nations of this world? The church is glorious in God's eyes. And God will use His church to fulfill His great commission. And one day all the nations will cry out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray and look forward to that day. And let's be those people that are willing to proclaim His glorious name amongst the nations. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for sending him into a world that, that hated him, into a corrupt world that was spitting in his face. While we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. Thank you, Lord, because of him, we have access to you, to our Father who loves us and sent his son to suffer in our place. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful truth this morning. Help us not to be those people who hide the light and this truth under a, under a bushel. Help us not to be the people that are ashamed of you. Help us to be people that faithfully proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Use us, Lord, for the spread and the fame of your magnificent name that you, Lord, would be honored, that you, Lord, would be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.